Возлюбленный Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
The book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. According to the definitions of Scripture, material riches on its own are blessings of God because the earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. However, our incorrect relationship toward these blessings and the equivalent of material goods and our attempt to use them using unlawful ways transforms, transforms them into a curse because this attempt is looked at by Scripture as unfaithfulness to God because God is a worker, He's a laborer, and He never plays Russian roulette in order to earn something. Everything is obtained through labor. Therefore, each person who tries to earn money, not by way of labor or working, but using some kind of other mechanisms or games, he, he challenges God and he won't be left unpunished. Unfaithfulness is, means that a person wants to earn the blessings of God for the goal not to build himself into the temple of God, but, the, but with the goal to satisfy all of his desires that come from his own flesh. The blessings of God in whatever spheres they may be expressed and they are given to a person with one goal. Not as a master, but as a servant with one purpose. So the man can search for God, acknowledge God, and build himself into the temple of God. As it is written in Acts chapter 17, and that's Acts chapter 17 verses 26 through 29 
He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. The goal of material goods with which God blessed his people in Egypt, the goal was not to make a golden calf, but to build the tabernacle of testimony. And those material blessings with which God blessed David with and then his son Solomon also pursued the goal of building the temple in which God could dwell and in which man could search for God and acknowledge God. First Chronicles, chapter 10. First Chronicles, chapter, chapter 29, verses 12, 10 through 18. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly and said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and your reign over all, and your hand is power and might, and your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and from, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Our, o Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. First Chronicles chapter 29 verses 10 through 18 based on all of this it follows that god is not against for his people to have riches but god is against for riches to have dominion over his people a person who thinks that material goods are the measure of his spirituality is neglectful and and uh, full of pride because the measure of spirituality is not material blessings but our relationship toward it expressed in the fruit of righteousness demonstrating love and respect toward God the phrase faithful a faithful man is rich with blessings meaning that a faithful person rules over blessings the riches of blessings is when you rule over them have dominion over them they are our servants not our masters if a person does not honor god from all that God has allowed him to have, then his unfaithfulness to God is expressed in refusal to express his love toward God and express his, his honor. It's very important that in our correct relationship toward material goods is expressed our relationship toward God and is 
his authority over us acknowledged. If a person says that he loves God, but as soon as he starts talking about tithes, they say, we must give voluntary offerings, not tithes, because in voluntary offerings, so-called voluntary offerings, they give as much as they love God. I remember when we had just time, there was 500 people, there was a gathering, a bag of coins. It was very rare that someone would give one dollar. Usually it would be 10 cents, 20 cents, 30 cents. And rent had to be paid. Uh, rent was given to us very cheap at that time, $500 a month, but it was impossible to even gather that much. And one of the members, and one of the members of of the ministry stood and stood up and said, "We don't have enough money. Let us gather." But people at that time were so were were very cheap. And there was a brother who was in need at that one time, and there was a list that went around the church about who could give how much. And I just looked at the list and I wrote down $100. People began to look for who could write this down because all those who had lived there, Americans, those who had just come, they only gave $1 or so. But I didn't even think about this, and I just wrote $100. And people were asking around, who gave it? Who gave it? And all of a sudden, I understood that people absolutely don't love God at all. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, but they don't love God. They use God. They always say, Lord, heal, Lord, help. No one wants to actually honor God. No one wants to love God. Because love toward God is not an emotion. It's the fulfillment of His will. If you love me, fulfill my will. And His commandment upon which everything is built is honoring God with tithes and offerings. God wants any offering that we offer Him to be clothed in the format of tithes and for it not to be less than the tithes from what we have earned. If it is more, it should be clothed in the format of tithes. What are tithes? Tithes is holiness. It's what is hallowed. When you say voluntary offering, they don't meet the requirements of what is hallowed. How is God going to accept it if it doesn't meet the requirements of holiness? That's why you have bare teeth. And some, some have even become servants of Mammon. They say, look at how Lord has blessed us. Yes, the Lord has blessed you, but you lie to your brothers and sisters very well. You've become businessmen and you are stealing from them. And you are therefore saying, look how the Lord has blessed blessed me. But look how others live. I am talking about this not to try to diminish you because I don't know any other church as this. That, as David had said, save me, Lord. Save their hearts in what they offer. Save their hearts forevermore. I've already told you before, but a banker had called our cashier and he said, and said, your your church differs from all the other churches in Oregon, from American churches, Russian, because according to the quality of people, it seems as if 25, 95% honor God 
and tithes and offerings. He says, we have churches, 2,000, 3,000 people. There, there's only 15 to 20% of people who honor God in tithes and offerings. The rest don't do this. For the church, is such an amount, with such an amount of people to give tithes and offerings, well, what is it that you do? We need to honor the Lord and love the Lord. That's how we we're able to do this. Let us stand and let's honor God and express our love toward Him. Acknowledge His authority toward us and let us sing together. If we believe in the words of God, let it be to us according to our faith. Because faith is obedience. It's not an emotion, it's obedience to the information that we have heard from God. Faith is information that comes from hearing the word of God. Our faith is obedience to this word. Because whenever people want to, therefore, whenever people want to feel the love of God and they want to feel some kind of faith, they never will. And they are headed in an unfaithful direction. Therefore, let us stick together. I will gladly remind you that each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or in the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses, to raise their hands on their offerings. And we, being that same Israel tied to that same root, drinking from the same olive tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely I do not give for in sorrow, and I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, let your heavenly windows be opened, and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Чтобы верным быть тебе всегда. 
And so, those who have a Bible, please open along with me a familiar place of Scripture to us that has become the topic of our study. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The sermon is called Return to the Ancient Paths of Goodness. The opportunity to find or return to the ancient path of goodness is an opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate. There is no other way to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In scripture, narrow gates are defined by the elementary principles or rather the reigning teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. The essence of the kingdom itself, which Christ called the gospel of the kingdom, is characterized by such unearthly criteria and qualities as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
It's not something that's separate from the Holy Spirit, but is found deep in the depths of the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. Speaking of these three virtues designed to define the nature of the kingdom of heaven and man, we should remember that this passage does not refer to finding these virtues, but rather representing them by proclaiming the perfection of light. It indicates that in order to attain the kingdom of God in the form of these three virtues, which have no analogs in any dictionary in the world, you must first find it. So these three properties, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, represent for us, or help represent for us, the proclamation of the perfection of light. People of this world define righteousness, peace, and joy differently. No dictionary correctly defines it. To seek the kingdom of heaven in the form of the ancient way of good, we must combine the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy, which exist only in the depths of the Holy Spirit. And as we've previously noted, only a few manage to return to the ancient path of goodness to find the narrow gate in the teachings of Jesus Christ. As we've remarked, before, few succeed in returning to the ancient path of goodness, that is, finding the narrow gates in the teachings of Jesus Christ. This means that many, due to their own stiff nature and their neglect, they won't be able to find these narrow gates in the reigning teachings of Christ. And they're going to as a result, inherit eternal damnation. But those who humble their hearts before God and become His disciples in order to enter through the narrow gates found in Christ's elementary teachings will inherit eternal life. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. In this context, the narrow gates are righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As paradoxical as it may sound, the wide gates are also righteousness, peace, and joy. But the cardinal difference is that the people who enter through the narrow gates appraise these three qualities from inside the Holy Spirit thanks to His revelation in their hearts, which they've received through hearing and obeying the gospel word of the kingdom. Meanwhile, those who pass through the wide gates appraise these three qualities independently of the Holy Spirit and outside of the Holy Spirit with the help of their own intellect. Because of this, interpretations of the kingdom of heaven and man, which defines the freedom of Christ, vary from one individual intellect to another. To lay a foundation for our study of the old way of good, we turn to the words of the Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was able to describe the order found in the teachings of Jesus using only a few concise definitions. The image of the four rivers flowing out of Eden to water the garden symbolizes the four fundamental teachings of Jesus Christ, each of which contains within itself a triple of functions which sum up to 12. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. 
This is the version of our translation. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ and putting on the armor of light contained in the supreme teaching, let us build ourselves into the house of God, because it is impossible to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So, four doctrines. When we looked at the doctrine of baptisms, we noted that it has unity in the sense that all three baptisms immerse us in the death of our Lord Jesus, while each one performs a separate function. As it is written, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are filled in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. The main function of water baptism is to separate man from the world, which lives and lies in wickedness. The main function of baptism in the Holy Spirit is to separate us from the vain life of our forefathers. The main function of baptism in fire is to separate the new man from the old. I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3, 11. Each one of the three baptisms, apart from the primary function that distinguish it from the others, contains other purposes that do not work without one another because they depend on each other and verify each other. To the extent that God allowed us, we've already examined the doctrine of water baptism and stopped at the doctrine of baptism of the Holy Spirit, the second foundation in the wall of the New Jerusalem, made out of precious sapphire stone. Revelation 21.19 we have noted that the Holy Spirit is a third person of the divine Godhead and that baptism of the Holy Spirit is an action He is meant to do to save us from the sinful life or inheritance of our forefathers and bring us to the inheritance of Christ and God. The separation from our sinful heritage is meant to be performed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit, we noted that in both the Hebrew and the Greek there is no definition of the word power, the power given to man by God's anointing as something impersonal and independent of the Holy Spirit or additional to the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is defined as the power of the Father, the strength of the Father, the Father's possibilities, the ability of the Father, the specific objective of the Father, the Father's sacrament, the arm of the Father, the right hand of the Father, glory to the Father, vestments of power coming down to the foot. Now, moving away from the shadows and images of, of sapphire containing the glory and powers found in the doctrine of baptism in the Holy Spirit, we will proceed to determine the purpose and authority contained in the truth of this baptism, which are reflected in the statements of Christ and his apostles, while remaining connected to, these to those shadows and images, out of which the light of the ancient path of goodness shines forth. Now, 
And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. John 14, 16 Baptism of the Holy Spirit assumes the same functions as water baptism, immersion, and separation. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Take a look, these tongues were given to separate from something. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. To be filled is to be made independent of the Holy Spirit and to speak in the authority of the Holy Spirit. Water baptism required a baptizer, and Christ delegated his disciples with this authority by giving them the rank of apostles. So, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there must also be a baptizer, and the Heavenly Father commissioned his Son to do this. And John preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire, it says furthermore. Jesus immerses us in the Holy Spirit who separates us from our sinful heritage that we genetically inherited from the sinful life of our forefathers which includes our capacity for reason. If when we were baptized in water we were clothed in Christ, then in the baptism of the Holy Spirit we are clothed in the Holy Spirit in whom the death of Christ is directly reliant on the Holy Spirit's power. When in water baptism we are separated from the world, our old nature remains untouched. The one transmitted to us from our earthly fathers in the form of our intelligent and volitional faculties representing our strength which opposes the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism in water, or rather this power upon baptism in water remains untouched. We are separated from the earth by the power that we have and that we have received through the sinful life of our forefathers upon the baptism of water remains untouched. Baptism in water and the death of Jesus does not touch the power of our soul. Then our soul, in the face of our intelligence, willpower, and life experience, immediately enlists itself into service, giving many concessions and refusing much for itself, presenting itself as a friend, all in an attempt to make peace and an alliance. For this, it puts on the necessary garments. This was the purpose of the Gibeonites. This is the image of the intellect, not the whole old man, but the intellect, because the whole old man is going to be abolished upon the fire baptism. But a part of this old man is bound to our intellect. Because through the intellect, a law passes through that we have inherited from our earthly fathers. And it remains untouched. And then, in ba upon baptism in the Holy Spirit, this could occur. And these inhabitants, or this intellect, in the ancient days, was figuratively represented by the Gibeonites. Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 11. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, 
They were crafty, and they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame, and all that he did in Egypt. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. So the intellect steps into a covenant. God has allowed this figuratively. There, Joshua did not ask the Lord, but he had to... Here, God has made it to not destroy the intellect, but to turn it into slavery so that it could be a servant of the new man. Because the new man, in the face, in the person or in the face of Joshua, will make a covenant with them without petitioning the Lord. And soon, to his chagrin, he learns that his, his old man is from among his closest enemies, but the oath is already made. The story represents will present with striking accuracy the anatomy of baptism in the Holy Spirit, as well as the powers that are found in this baptism. In this baptism, our intellect breaks its dependencies on the sinful heritage of its forefathers and enters into a covenant with a new man with the Holy Spirit as the head. You are going to continually cut wood and bring him into my house, said Joshua, the son of Nun. You see that he made the Gibeonites the servants of the Israelites. He made them the servants of the house of God. And the Gibeonites had to enter there where none of the Israelites could go. They had to continually change water in the bronze basin. They had to uh, warm it up. They had to prepare the wood for the altar. And they had to clean, clean the sanctuary. And there, they directly had felt the presence of God. And God had agreed. He was patient, was not just patient with them, but favored toward them. Because they gave themselves up as servants to him. They came and gave themselves up as servants. He says, now you can either kill us or leave us alive, they said to Joshua. With regard to this, I remember an interesting person in time. This was a famous person. He was a sailor who had, who had stolen. And the Roman Empire said, I will pay a lot of money for his head. And they tried to seek him out because he was very cunning and he was very crafty and audacious. And at one point, there was a person who came to the emperor and said to the watchman, I have brought the head of this pirate, or the sailor, the pilot, pirate. And he wanted to present this head to the emperor. And this watchman said, immediately let him in. This person had placed a bag down, bowed down before the emperor and said, I am that person. I have brought my head to you. You can behead me, or you can make me a servant. I'm going to be your servant if you will have mercy on my life. And he became an admiral of this emperor. And then the Roman Empire had overcome many other empires because this this person had this servant who had helped him, this admiral, 
God has allowed the same thing He has allowed our intellect to not be destroyed, but to be taken into slavery and for the intellect to voluntarily do this. He figuratively allowed these people, these Gibeonites, for none of the nations had done this. All the nations had challenged against and they fought with the Israelites until the end. Only this nation, the Gibeonites, had come and said, here we are, we are your servants. We're not going to fight with you. Now that we are servants, you can either kill us or you can leave us. Therefore, when Saul, according to his foolishness, when he decided to destroy the Gibeonites, then in the days of David, there was calamity and there was no rain for years on end. And David understood that this was a punishment of God and that God was angry. And then he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, what had happened? What's happened between us? How come you are angry at your people and we are facing hunger and there's no rain? He said, this is for the bloodthirsty house of Saul because they wanted to destroy the Gibeonites. So there's people who want to do everything in the spirit, only in the spirit, and they completely disregard the intellect or their mind. And then David called the Gibeonites and he said, what can we do for you, for you to bless the inheritance of the Lord? And they said, give us ten people from the house of Saul, from his seed. And we were going to kill them. And then he had taken ten sons of Ritzpah. And he gave them up to them. And they hung on the tree and they hung there for several months. And the mother of these sons had spent the night there. She had... She had scared the crows away. And then rain had finally come. Because the Lord saw that this was done. Same thing has happened here. When we are baptized in, wa in water and we come to God and we repent, our intellect immediately, immediately begins to take part. And we do this and that with the intellect and God allows this. But then, he takes it into slavery. Let's read furthermore. As a result, all the forces of our soul in the form of all manner of earthly lusts unite and wage war on our intellect. When our intellect made a covenant with Joshua, then all the earthly lusts unite and wage war on our intellect. You know what happened? When all the kings of Canaan had found out what, what the Canaanite king had done, that he had made a covenant with Joshua, the son of Nun, they all had gathered and they went with war in order to destroy the Gibeonites. And then at night, they had sent messengers to Joshua, the son of Nun, saying to him, come help us. If you don't come this night, we are not going to remain any longer. We're not going to be able to withstand this army going against us. 
I think each of you had endured this when the lusts in you had ignited. Your enlightened intellect understands that you can't do this, but you are incapable of withstanding it. The lust is so strong but that you can't withstand it. And then the mind calls out to the spirit, come, save us. Joshua, immediately at night, gathered the whole army and they went, walked all night and to the morning. They came to this city, to Gibeon, and a war began. Imagine the whole army walked all night and then they go straight to war with many people. God gives them a great victory. They destroy all of these armies all at once. And in doing so, they are freed. Moses in our heart is a prototype and image of Christ, while Joshua is a prototype and image of the Holy Spirit. Thus, in water baptism expressed in the passage through the Red Sea, we were separated from Egypt by the hand of Moses. And so, the power and strength of Egypt, its best and most elite troops, all were buried in the waters of the Red Sea, and we, in passing through these waters, received complete freedom and emancipation from slavery in Egypt. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, in the image of the passage through Jordan by Joshua's hand, separated us from the people inhabiting Canaan, who embody the sinful legacy that we, by the fact of our birth, inherited from our forefathers. Joshua, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, led all of God's wars for Moses. The glory. Moses' death symbolized Jesus' death, which upon his resurrection opened the door for Joshua's public ministry. If before the death of Moses, Joshua's ministry was in the shadows, after the death of Moses, his personal responsibility for military campaigns became a legal fact. In the words of Scripture, the death of the testator creates the opportunity to receive the promised Holy Spirit. Moses, in the face of Christ, immerses us in Joshua, who is the Holy Spirit, and transfers to him his power and authority. Because, Josh, because Jesus was called to baptize us, baptizes in the Holy Spirit, immerses us in Joshua. Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 through 23, when Moses had found out that he was going to die and not enter into the land, that he won't enter and that he must die. This is what Moses had done. He spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit. Joshua, rather the Holy Spirit, must be a shepherd after Christ. 
And Lord says, lay your hand on him, set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. You shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out. Not his word, they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. This moment was a symbol of the transfer of power that occurred when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You give the sins, you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. You retain the sins of any, they are retained. This was not in a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They had already accepted the Holy Spirit. It says, accept the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. The essence of baptism, its true function was to be performed by the Holy Spirit himself. The power to separate is one of the functions of his ministry. Joshua was supposed to bring Israel to the land of Canaan through the waters of Jordan and separate them from the Canaanites by destroying the latter. The authority of the Son of God is a legal instrument that governs the order in which the Constitution and legislature are established. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The implementation and administration of these laws is carried out by the executive in the face of the Holy Spirit, who in the hands of the lawgiver and ruler is an instrument of control. There is the legislature and there is the executive role. The Holy Spirit exercises his executive power in a person through the power of his baptism expressed through speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a charisma of the Holy Spirit or a gift of the Spirit. Charisma is a Greek word and it means, the, it means spiritual gifts or supernatural gifts. Because therefore one today politics are called charismatics charismatic artists, charismatic sportsmen or athletes. They can't be Charismatics because this is a natural ability. But true charisma is supernatural gift. Charisma of the Spirit that is called to be Speaking in tongues is a charisma of the Holy Spirit that serves as his executive instrument in a person who has received baptism of the Holy Spirit. Prayer in tongues is a weapon with no analogs, by virtue of which it is the strongest weapon in our struggle with the organized forces of darkness, represented by wicked men and our old men. When the children of God understand the power of this weapon and start to use it correctly, even to lose their minds from fear and go to the on the defensive, and then surrender. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. 
From the high walls of Jericho, the experienced and hardened warriors of the Canaanite king looked out with horror. Warriors who had won more than one battle expertly wielded the weapons and had mastered the military defensive and offensive strategies of their time. They had never encountered a strategy such as this, and most importantly, they were unfamiliar with the Israelites' weapons. Their ominous silent march and a terrifying and paralyzing trumpet sound that made their blood run cold. They waited day to day in agonizing expectation. The Israel army had come out every day, they walked around Jericho. Most importantly, they were tormented by the uncertainty of just how the Israelites would attack one of the largest and most heavily fortified cities in They had no battering rams, no one digging trenches, and no sappers. And then came the seventh decisive day for Israel and Jericho. As soon as dawn appeared, so did the terrible army with its raised flags, whose symbols confused the Canaanites because they differed so drastically from one another. Broken up into even squares under four banners, these mysterious armies, which together made one, once again stood at the walls of Jericho, and once again the trumpet sound was heard, except this time it did not stop like in the previous six this terrible army was now in no hurry to leave its occupied position the way it did before. They kept marching around the walls. When the seventh sound was at an end, Jericho met a new, secret, and unfamiliar weapon that leveled its walls in the blink of an eye. In the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpet that Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. Before this, he said, Be careful to not let out a sound so that there is no sound. There's silence. On the seventh day, though, they shouted. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Joshua 6, verses 16 20. First of all, we see here that shouting is a confession with your mouth of your faith that Jesus is our Lord, and that God resurrected him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit for our justification. For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The thing is that the city Jericho means the city of righteousness, the city of palms. But this was false righteousness. That's why it had to be destroyed. This was the righteousness of works. There needed to be the righteousness of God that a person receives by faith as a gift of grace in the redemption of Christ that is not earned but in which we are born righteous. You've believed that Jesus can save you and has been resurrected for you, and you are justified. Furthermore, shouting is a shining example of prayer in tongues. It is only through prayer in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we can take possession of our portion on the other side of the river of Jordan, because these are people 
who had already crossed Jordan when they had surrounded Jericho, to divide me to seize strategic positions. I have the keys to hell and death, said Jesus to John on the island of Patmos. Therefore, by immersing ourselves in the Holy Spirit, who represents the death of Jesus, we receive authority over the second death, the Jordan. And by the severing power of the Holy Spirit expressed through prayer and tongues, we abolish, we abolish the power of the old man, deprive him of his governorship, and send him into slavery. And Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Now therefore you are cursed. And none of you shall be free from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers to the house of my God. We've already talked about how this is a part of the soul that we call intellect, the rational capabilities of our soul. Apostle Paul articulates the principles of separation in which we deny our intelligence the power to lead by evoking the image of our joining to the death of Christ and with the image of his resurrection. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Of course, such a division in the death of the Lord Jesus is performed by baptism of the Holy Spirit through speaking in tongues. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. To accept the Holy Spirit does not yet mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Laban and Bethuel accepted Eleazar, but he that we not long ago spoke about, who is a prototype of the Holy Spirit. But he did not invite them to leave Mesopotamia. Why? Because certain criteria had to be met for this. First, it was necessary to be a virgin who could be fertilized by the seed of the word of the kingdom of heaven. Second, it was necessary to quench the thirst of the Holy Spirit from the well of one's own heart, one's faith and redemption. When we proclaim with our lips that Jesus Christ is our Lord and that he has been resurrected for our justification, this is that water from the well that quenches the thirst of the Holy Spirit, according to which we can define that this is the one whom God has chosen for the Son of God, because Jesus is the groom and church is the bride, but not all, only those whom the Holy Spirit Selects according to these signs. This is the one whom is chosen, not Bethel, not Label, not Laban. All had accepted the gifts, but who is going to be the bride? Who is he going to separate from the sinful life of the Father from this household to which she belongs? Third, it was necessary to attract the goodwill of the Holy Spirit by giving water to these ten camels. We know that the number ten symbolizes complete dedication and consecration. 
I won't talk about this too much, but when we correctly offer tithes, when we give it as God's belonging, in doing so, we dedicate ourselves, we separate ourselves. What is holy is that which is separated. We have separated ourselves in these tithes. And when we separate ourselves completely, this is total sanctification and dedication. And Rebecca had fulfilled this condition. That's why when Rebecca fulfilled this, Eliezer looked at her with such amazement and admiration. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Adam and Eve are the eternal symbols and prototypes of Christ and the Church, the Bride of the Lamb. They also represent Christ and the Holy Spirit. So Adam and Eve is also a prototype of Christ and the Holy Spirit. In his sleep, which symbolized death, Adam obtained a helper fit for him whose role represents the role of the Holy Spirit. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Genesis 2.22 a help in the time of need. God offers himself to man in the role of a helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He is not going to fulfill our role for us. The important part is for us to fulfill our role and this helper will then help us. Therefore, when the word helper is expressed, and when God gave Adam a helper, and the, there wasn't that understanding that right now is completely present among all denominations of Christianity, that a helper is that person who stands on a social ladder below her husband, because the husband is so-called the head, and she is the helper, so she is lower in so social class. The thing is, the Heavenly Father, although He is the head in the Trinity, He still doesn't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. All that the Heavenly Father does, He does by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to man's agreement. Therefore, when we're talking about man and God, when God accepts upon Himself the role of a helper, and when we must fulfill our important role, when we must open the doors of our heart, He won't open it up for us. He isn't going to take our tongue and control it if we don't offer it ourselves to speak in tongues. Because some people think that baptism in the Holy Spirit, they wait for when the tongue is going to be grasped and He is going to be able to speak to them. I remember I had prayed for one brother, an American, before. I had to pray with an interpreter and I explained to him and read him a place of scripture. Open your lips and I will fill them. He opened his mouth and he stood there with an open mouth just looking at me. He was taller than me and I told him you're going to stand there forever and you won't accept the Holy Spirit. To accept means to uh, use your vocal cords. You must begin to speak. You must begin to speak. Because when you had accepted the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit comes and He gives to you this gift. Some accept this gift, but Rebecca had accepted the gift of baptism, the gift of separation, and she begins to speak. And then this man began to speak, and then he could speak in tongues. 
Only those who are adorned in Christ will attract the gaze of the Holy Spirit, who will reveal the mystery of His power in the baptism of the divisive tongue. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Galatians 3.27, this is the moment of water baptism. We know that the tongue is the rudder of man's being. In baptism of the Holy Spirit, by means of prayer in tongues specifically, the Holy Spirit commandeers our soul, using man's own headquarters to conquer his being. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body, James 3.3. And the one who put who put bits in horses' mouths because bits is speaking, it is the tongue. But the rider who is going to sit on us is the Holy Spirit. Because the bits on their own aren't going to be able to control the horse. It's necessary for the rider to control these bits in the horse's mouth. Scripture says in Revelation 12:11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So the word of testimony is testimony of our faith that Jesus is Lord and that he has been resurrected for our justification. But the word of testimony is proclaimed with our tongues because it's impossible with these lips to proclaim that the Lord is your God. It's impossible. Because I'll read a place of scripture and then I'll explain. First Corinthians 12:3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. First of all, speaking in tongues is not going to uh, to a cursed Jesus. We need to know this. We can't control our intellect speaking in tongues. Therefore, people might grow scared that they are going to say whatever, whatever. But here, furthermore, it says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For it's written, and when we call him Lord, and when we believe that he has resurrected for our justification, then we are saved. It turns out that to call him Lord is necessary in tongues. It's not enough. Yes, we need to do it in our minds as well, in our intellect, but our mind or our tongue must go along with speaking in tongues. mind and I will speak in tongues. We cannot lose our soul if we do not willingly hand over our tongue, our lips, the control panel of our being, to the Holy Spirit and the device of power contained in his baptism of tongues. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John 12, 25. Sometimes people said, well, how could you hate your soul? How could you hate your life in person? Well, we indeed, the people say, we curse are the sinful beginning in the soul and not the soul itself. But because the soul is tied to this sinful beginning, then it is, needs to be, needs to be hated. When we lose our soul for the Lord, we save it. It again is restored, and then he resurrects it. The tongue is not only the rudder, but also the chief hope of our soul. 
Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through 17. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rock. And he said, uh, the staff or a rod that a person relies on with which he shepherds the sheep and which he protects himself with because the rod of a shepherd, we know it is a weapon that could be used for multiple things. He relies on it when he walks. If the sheep has been lost in the bush, he can drag it out with this rod. And when, this, when a bear or wolf comes upon his flock, uh, it could be used to scare them off. This rod was oftentimes, it surpassed the height of a person. And with this, he could destroy a wolf or bear. And this rod was looked at as a weapon. This was simultaneously what they relied on. This was a weapon, and this was the opportunity to shepherd one's thoughts or one's sheep. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out to your hand, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. This is what we rely on, our so-called good works, our, our experience, and so forth. And he reached out, and the Lord said, you shall, you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through 17. We know that all reptiles, crocodiles, snakes, and so forth, their wheel is their tail. They can guide themselves with their tail. When we have not yet died, when our soul is not yet crucified, we for ourselves are just venomous snakes. That's why Moses had run away from himself. That's why we oftentimes try to run away from ourselves. Because you might say, how is it possible to withhold your tongue? Many people say, everything is fine, but when circumstances change, all of a sudden, the wife calls the husband, you are so sweet, honey. And, and then one, one minute later, she might call him a bad name. And I'm telling you things that, that happen, that I've heard of happen among our church. When people come and they say, my husband calls me a chicken, this one woman comes up to me and says, and I ask her, when you get angry, what do you call him? She lowered her head and says, I say, you're a donkey. And she says, well, how do, these, how do I not let these words escape? What is anger? Anger is temporary, temporary madness. If in this time, when you are, when you do feel angry, and you don't speak, devil can't do anything through you. 
But when you are angered and you have wrath, don't speak with your husband or with your wife or with your children even. Be silent and walk away. All that you can say is, let's talk about this later. Of course, she or he will say, no, I want to talk about this now. And then just be silent. My aunt for me, she was an interesting person. She had told me what she did. And or rather, my mother-in-law used to tell me this, uh, and my father-in-law, he had this controlling spirit. When he began to yell at her, she began to sing, I shall tell all the living as my Christ had suffered. And she tells me, you know, son, when I begin to sing this, he all of a sudden grows silent. And he tells me, when she begins to sing, I don't know what to do. I grow lost. I can't say anything. I can't do anything. You can imagine what she's doing. She understands that I can't go against this. And therefore, I have to be quiet. I don't have anything else to say. This is him complaining Because she understood that if she is quiet, then he's going to continue to pour out this indignation on her. Therefore, she began to sing. I think the Holy Spirit had given this, this kind of uh, wisdom in this moment. Because if you're quiet, if she was quiet, he would have poured out a lot of anger at her. It's very important to control this, this tail. He said, take hold of the tail of the serpent. If you want to control your body, your emotions, begin to control your tongue. Grab it by the tail. The anger of a person does not fulfill the righteousness of God. You have the Holy Spirit. Yes, without the Holy Spirit, no one can. And James says, every creature, every being, everything that crawls is, uh, submits to man. But no one can submit the tongue of man. The Holy Spirit is necessary. Therefore, give the Holy Spirit control through speaking Don't give your tongue over to anger because, behind your, because your anger does not practice the righteousness of God. Because behind your anger stands the old nature. Give it to the Holy Spirit. Begin in this moment to pray in tongues. I know some sisters who, at, during this time, when their husband begins to yell, they all of a sudden begin to speak in tongues. This also scares, scares their husbands. And they stop speaking out against their wives. Therefore, it's very important to understand these things. That the tail of a snake is its, is its wheel. That's why the Holy Spirit can do wonders through our tongues. Now when Moses had lifted up this rod, there were ten plagues that came upon Egypt. He hit the rock and water began to flow. This is what your tongue will be able to do. Our proclamations begin to control us. The Holy Spirit, through the gift of speaking in tongues, does a kind of thing that 
The Pharaoh nor his army could withstand us. Proverbs 30.28 Spider skillfully grasps with its hand in its king's palaces. The a spider grasps with its hands. What he does is he spins a web near the entrance of a door, and when the door opens, the net gets caught up and is then brought inside of the king's palaces. This proverb tells us that how through a proclamation we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. When we proclaim, when we spin this web, when we proclaim that which is in our heart, the faith of our heart, not just a regular proclamation or it's a proclamation of the faith of our heart. Our tongue becomes the tongue of God, just as the staff or the rod of Moses became the rod of God. That is why the man who diligently exercises prayer in tongues will not be ashamed, but will grow spiritually through purposeful and conscious prayer in tongues, which separate in the carnal being from the new beginning created by God through Jesus Christ. The divided tongues are the glorious shadow of the cloven hoof, having the mark of the death on itself. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat. Cloven hooves symbolize a man who walks by faith and not by sight, declaring by faith that which does not exist does exist. The cloven hoof, therefore, is a special sign, making us candidates for rapture. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father for our spirit, who was born from the incorruptible seed of God's Word. The main difference between the human spirit and the Spirit of God is that the Holy Spirit is God, whereas the Spirit the Spirit of man, on the other hand, is God's creation or the product of God. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep who have no shepherd. However, God as a shepherd is going to with his rod, lead his people through speaking of tongues, because this is an angelic language that no one knows. The main principle of our spirit's collaboration with the Holy Ghost is clearly seen in the first lines of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. When we are focused on what we don't yet understand, but we know that the Lord has said this, and when we focus on this, then at this time, we can hear something. When we speak in tongues and we don't understand, but we have a goal and purpose so that the Holy Spirit can grow us and do something in us, then a revelation comes in our spirit through intuition, revelation of that which our spirit is praying about. 
The acceptance of the Holy Spirit gives him the opportunity to wage our war of prayer alongside us and present us to God with all the honors of Israel. This opportunity can only be realized when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak in Speech in tongues is the result of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The purpose of prayer in tongues is to give the opportunity to fulfill our own purpose. But prayer in tongues fulfills its purpose only when we understand what, is for, what it is for and exercise it as an instrument according to the norms set by Scripture. Prayer in tongues is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit for our good. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, to one different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things. 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11 in this case, it's important to remember that different tongues are always speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues are not always different tongues. Different tongues are always speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues are not always different tongues. There are people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they can speak in one language. There are people who have several, several languages. When I speak in tongues, I have not just one tongue or one language, but several. There is one tongue and then another, and then I understand that because these tongues, different tongues exist, I pray for interpretation, and when I pray, I receive this interpretation. And this interpretation comes in the form of your knowledges or thoughts that all of a sudden I begin to understand. And therefore, when I am in some kind of problem or when I don't know the answer to some kind of question, I simply begin to sing in tongues, to pray in tongues, and, or to speak in tongues. And then after this, some time passes, sometimes right away, I receive an answer a clear answer through my intuition, an interpretation of this tongue, because different tongues can't be translated, it can only be interpreted. Earthly languages can be interpreted, but angelic ones can only, can only be interpreted. Speaking in tongues is meant to be the bit that helps us obey the Holy Spirit, the writer, whose interests we must serve. And did we indeed put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body? The importance of the tongue, especially speech and other tongues, is emphasized in the Bible in the following image. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. fruit. Proverbs 18.22 Matthew chapter 12, verses 36-37 But I say to you that for every idle word, idle means a sinful word. Specifically, sinful. If you take a look at what the word idle means, um, meaning lawless, the word of unbelief. It's when we proclaim that which is not in our heart. For this idle word, for this 
which we proclaim that that is, that is not in our hearts. They will give account of it in a day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. If we proclaim the faith of our heart, we will be justified. If we proclaim that what is not in our hearts, nothing will occur. Speaking in tongues is meant to be a rudder in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the captain of our faith, so that he may direct our faith wherever God wants it. It is through speaking in tongues that God is going to direct us where he wants us, not where we want to go. Sometimes we might think, we should go do this, I should go do that. But when we pray in tongues, all of a sudden we understand that that which we wanted to do, we shouldn't really do. How come you don't do this? I've changed my mind. I've thought about it and prayed about it. Look at also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires, even till the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force a little fire kindles. Furthermore, speaking in tongues is meant to bring peace to the burdened and weary. I constantly endure this. When there are strong, uh, strong pains, strong difficulties, I begin to pray in tongues. And then I begin to be comforted. You might pray, Lord, give me rest. But you have a tongue through which rest will come. Isaiah 28, 11-12 With stammering lips and another tongue, you will speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing yet they would not hear. So, these tongues, there are certain tongues might, that might seem strange to us because sometimes they depend on the timbre. Louder, quieter, people understand. Speaking in tongues is the law of the Feast of Trumpets, testifying before God that He has delivered us from captivity in Egypt and led us into the kingdom of His Son. Psalms 81, verses 4 through 7. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day, for this is a statue for Israel, a law of the, law of the God of Jacob. He established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden, his hands were freed from the baskets. When did God take this burden? And when there were hands free from the baskets? When he heard the sound of a language he did not know. Yes, David talks, speaks of a mystery here. That Joseph had been freed when? When he heard a language he did not understand. Joseph is referring to the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. When they heard the sound of the language they did not understand, because Moses had spoken to him in a different language, they couldn't understand, but Aaron was the interpreter. God had made it so, so that Moses would represent this in himself, that Aaron would interpret that which Moses would say. 
Speaking in tongues is a supernatural opportunity to glorify God in a new language. Paul said, Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So pay attention, it says, all could prophesy according to the measure of faith. Prophecy is the information or that knowledge that you receive inside of yourself through the Word of God. Through this Word of God, it comes in your spirit. Sometimes your spirits, being in tongues, will also speak this Word of God, and you are going to receive it as a prophecy through interpretation. At this, I would like to conclude, considering that our time has concluded, I think that this is not a full version of that which baptism in the Holy Spirit is, but I think that this is enough in order for us to understand the significance that is contained in the powers of speaking in tongues or baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right now we are going to pray, and all those who desire to challenge their essence, their intellect, their lust, perhaps their illnesses, perhaps their fears, perhaps their incorrect relationship that they would like to restore. The Holy Spirit in this, is in this place in the literal sense of the word. We might not feel this with our body, yet He does this through the teaching, through His word, through the preached word of the kingdom of heaven. That which you have heard today, this word is about the kingdom of heaven from the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ. Let us bend, or let us bow our heads and bend our knees, and all those who desire to receive freedom, we wait for you at the altar. Amen. Let us pray. I will pray along with you with your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Holy Spirit is for you He is not against you He is ready to intercede before the Heavenly Father for you to receive that desire or that need that you have a need for for God to reveal to you His healing your eyes close as an element of the mystery room that is important before God. Your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you are ready to receive from God that which He desires to give you. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you in my pain, my shame, my dependence, my pain, my illnesses, my poverty. I ask you, Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, protect me. I accept your healing in your word in my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I would like to proclaim that according to your word, I am justified. I am washed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am, am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven you and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come upon you with His holy face and may He have mercy upon you and give you peace. May among you fall tens of thousands and not draw near to you. May all of these blessings and healings come upon you and upon your children. 
May the people say Amen. Continue to look at your healing, at your call the inexistent as existent. Don't look at what Satan does, but look at what God does and what he has already done, and you are going to have victory. Our service is over. Let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.